God, what are you up to? Oh, what are you up to with all these people in the room? What are you trying to do that's greater than what we could come up with? What are you trying to do? the Lord wants to extend an invitation this morning. I think the Lord wants to extend an invitation to his people this morning. But listen to me. He wants to extend an invitation to you this morning. It's an invitation into the fullness of the love and mercy and grace of God. It's an invitation into the power and authority and purposes and plans of God. It's an invitation into life as it was designed to be on this side of the cross. And on this side of the resurrection. And on this side of the glorification and ascension of Jesus Christ. As he went to the Father. It's an invitation to life as it is designed to be living in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is an invitation to those who are new in the family of God. Some of you have just given your life to Christ. Some of you have just followed him in believer's baptism. You're trying to figure out what's the next step in this journey and this walk with the Lord. The Lord has an invitation for you this morning. There's many in this room who have been sold a bill of goods by the church. We're going to look at that this morning. You've been presented a gospel that is counterfeit. That is not what God has called us to. It's not the fullness of what he's called us to. And it's jaded you to the church. It's jaded you to his word. It's hardened your heart towards um, not really God, but people. Right? And you've put that on God. But the, the, the invitation this morning is, is for you too. This invitation is for those in the room who um, are advanced in their years. My, my father-in-law says... Well, my hair is turning gray, but yours is turning loose. <laughs> so I'm old, I'm old enough to speak that. The invitation is to those in the room who um, the majority of their life is in the rearview mirror. Yeah. And when you look in that rearview mirror, you may see regret. Mm. You may see wasted time. You may see wasted decades. You may see wasted and ruined relationships. Yeah. But the invitation this morning... It's for you too. The invitation is this. Follow me. Follow me. Two simple words that make up one simple phrase. Follow me. Let's pray. And Father God, would you illumine us to the truth of your word?
You've met us in worship. You have blessed us. You have been near to us. You have been kind to us. You have spoken to us through your, through your rhema word, through your presence, Father, through your manifested felt presence in the room. And now speak to us through your written word. Speak to us through this word that is sharper than any two-edged sword that divides soul and spirit, that does what it is intended to do. So I want you to pray this prayer to the Father this morning. Lord, whatever you want to do through your word, do it this morning. I am an open vessel. My hands are empty and open and ready to receive what you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with a quote this morning. You see the quote there at the beginning, Dave? This is a quote by Dr. Vance Havner. He was a contemporary of Billy Graham. He was an evangelist and a preacher. And he says this. He says, the devil is not fighting religion. He's too smart for that. He's producing a counterfeit Christianity so much like the real one that good Christians are afraid to speak out against it. Those are hard words. So I want to explore that a little bit. What's the definition of counterfeit? Right? Just think about the word counterfeit. Think about a counterfeit $100 bill. What is a counterfeit? A counterfeit is something that has been intentionally and meticulously designed to look like the real thing in order to deceive the recipient that it is indeed the real thing. So the forger... The, the criminal puts time, tons of time and effort into making this fake dollar bill look and smell and feel like the real thing. To convince you that it is the real thing so that you'll take it and he'll get real money and change in return, right? So Dr. Havner is saying here... Um, is that just like in Snow White, there's an apple. And that apple looks like an apple, feels like an apple, has the sheen and wax of an apple, the, the beautiful shape of an apple. Uh, in, in the original fairy tale, the witch even bites the clean side of the apple to deceive Snow White into taking her own bite of the apple. There, there's an apple, but that apple, when you bite it, it leads to death. It's full of poison. It will wreck your life. And there are no little dwarves that are going to come and help you out of the mess when you take a bite of this apple. And just like in the fairy tale, this counterfeit Christianity, it lulls the believer to sleep. Listen to this. Thinking that there's an option that there's a gospel that says you can meet your own needs and secure your own salvation with no cost to you. It's, it's an alluring apple. It's a seducing apple, right? But this, this counterfeit Christianity, it convinces us that faith without works is okay. It's probably permissible. He'll probably overlook it. Book of James says, faith without works is what? Death. Death. This counterfeit Christianity 
turns salvation into a transactional process. Give me heaven versus a transformational process. Make me more like Jesus. Counterfeit Christianity accommodates the things of the world. It allows us to have a foot in this kingdom and a foot in the other kingdom. The true gospel allows no such thing. The true gospel compels us to leave the things of this world behind while dying to ourselves. And remember, a counterfeit is designed to look like the real thing. So even in counterfeit Christianity, you will see grace. You'll hear the word grace all the time, but it'll be hyper grace. It will not require sanctification. It will not require holiness. It will not require obedience. It will not require transformation because you've simply just made a transaction. Counterfeit Christianity, you'll see salvation. But it will be an open hand, willing to receive only, with no intention or willingness that that hand would pick up a cross, much less be nailed to it. And after 2,000 some odd years, some bad apples have been peddled in the church. Some of you in this room have been turned off by a church that has presented a Jesus, that has presented a gospel that allows for you to build your kingdom while claiming his kingdom. And here's the thing. It's left you dry. It's left you parched. It's left you exhausted. It's left you bewildered. It's left you dismayed. Because it wasn't designed to do that. It was designed to transform you. That the old man would die. That the new would come. And that you would walk with Christ in new creation. In new life. Filled with his spirit. Filled with the power that raised Jesus from the dead so that you can go in and you can change the atmosphere. You can wreck a room with the presence of Christ. You can unleash healing and deliverance in the name of Jesus. And you're sitting here and you're going, I haven't experienced any of that. I've, I've, I've believed in Jesus for the last 50 years. I haven't seen any of that. The invitation this morning, follow me. Follow me. I want to be very clear with what God is doing this morning. This isn't a morning to judge those around us, to poke your spouse, to keep looking over at your kid to see if they're finally here and then getting it through their skull. This isn't a time to judge those from our past. Listen to me. This isn't a time to judge our past churches. This isn't a time to judge our past pastors. God is simply asking you, are you are you, you, are you truly following me? And if, if for any reason, for any reason, the, the answer is, the honest answer is no, then all he's following it up with is, okay, follow me. Follow me. I spent some time with the Lord um, this week. He actually said, he said, I want you to draw, this was Monday. He said, I want you to draw, I had a crazy busy week. He said, I want you to draw away to a quiet place. I want you to come meet with me. And I, was, I said, I'm going I'm to go to the cross in Kerrville. And so I drove the cross in Kerrville. You weren't there. I was very disappointed. So I went on up to meet the Lord anyways. The cross in Kerrville, if you haven't been, is just a, it's just a sanctified place. It's a set-apart place. It's a place on a hill where people go to meet God and God goes to meet people. 
Um, it's, a, it, it's what the, the, the Celtics would call a thin place, a thin place between heaven and earth where you can go and encounter God. And so I spent some time with the Lord. And, and, and when I go, uh, I, was, I was really praying for what to speak about this week. The Lord has a number of words and sermons bubbling around in this ridiculous cauldron of my head. But, but none of them felt like they were a word for today. They were not what God had designed for today. And so I said, God, I can't speak anything but what you want. And so I prayed and I sat there for hours and I didn't, I didn't get any clarity. I didn't get any direction. Uh, I was thanking him for what he's been doing in this body and the healings and the deliverance that we saw on the, on the previous surge Sunday. And the testimonies from that, y'all will hear them and they're amazing. right? And I was just adoring his face, but I wasn't getting any clear direction and so I said, okay, I, I, need to, I need to get back home. I need to get some stuff done. And, uh, but even, here, here's the thing about the cross, uh, the curve of the cross. Um, people go there because they need something from God or they need to meet God. And so even walking out of that place, I remain in a prayerful state, right? If, in, in case the last person I cross needs to be ministered to. In case the last person that I cross paths with needs Jesus, right? And so I'm, I'm just trying to hear from the Lord and seeking the Lord. And I'm walking out, as I've done a billion times before. And there's a couple kind of in the way. Um, and they're, they're talking. And so it makes, me, it makes me have to go around a statue. Okay? It's a statue at the very entrance to the cross. Um, but now this is my exit, right? I had missed it on the way in. And God, God drew me to it on the way out. I had to literally go around it and saw it. And the minute I saw it, God just marked me. Holy Spirit just fell. And he said, teach my people this. So I want to show you that, a picture of that statue. Uh, sorry, sorry. That's not, this, that's not the... Dave, Dave. All right, give me the statue. I love you, brother. I love you. Y'all make sure to be here for our Christmas play next year. This is the, this is the statue. And here's what, here's what God marked in me about this. I felt like it was Jesus offering me the net. He was saying, take your net. Take your net. Put it in the water. Put it in the water. So we're going we're gonna to look at this story in God's Word this morning. We're going to take a, a story that, unfortunately, maybe we've pawned off to our children's ministry. We've, we, we turned it into a simple story, and we're going to reclaim it because it's a profound truth. And I think sometimes the reason we kick things to our children's ministries is we don't want to deal with the truth that it involves, with the, with the change that it requires. So uh, we're going to turn first to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. This is the call of the disciples. It says, as he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me and I will turn you into fishers of men. They left their nets immediately and what church? Followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with the father Zebedee, mending their nets then he called them. They immediately left the boat and their father and what church? Followed him. 
Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and sickness among the people. Hallelujah. So a report about him spread throughout Syria. Uh, Let me pause here. Um, A report about you should spread throughout all of Bernie. Let's keep going. People brought to him all who suffered with various illnesses and afflictions, those who had seizures, paralytics, and those possessed by demons, and healed them. And large crowds, what church? Followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan River. You see, he was calling these people not to walk an aisle. Not to pray a prayer. He was calling them to lay down their lives. He was calling them into action. It was surrender followed by following. Right? The, 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 the word used in the gospel and acts, right, for disciple is methetes, right? And, and this is a great definition that I saw. Someone who adheres to the teachings of another and follows him to live like him and become like him. The disciple first believes and uh, studies the rabbi's teaching. Correct? The disciple then rests on... I'm speaking of, of being a disciple of Jesus now. Okay, I want to be clear. A disciple of Jesus then rests on the sacrifice of Jesus. Correct? Understanding that the cross of Christ atoned for the sin and was sufficient for the salvation of man. The disciple of Jesus Christ then imbibes his spirit, consumes his spirit, drinks his spirit to be filled with the same power as the teacher so that, number four, he can go out and imitate the example of the teacher. So one believes and studies his teaching. I think most churches do that. Two, rests in his sacrifice. I believe that most churches do that. I also believe that most churches stop there. And allow the people sitting in their seats to stop there. And when God was wrecking me with his love this morning. And I walked out here and I saw your faces. I saw the faces of each one of you. He said this. He said, I love them too much to allow them to stay there. To allow them to remain, to, to allow it to, to turn from resting in his sacrifice to just lying down and falling asleep and dying in his sacrifice. I want them to drink of my spirit. I want them to drink of the life that is in me. I rose from the grave to give them life. I'm the first fruits of those who have been raised from the dead. The cry this morning is, awake from the dead, arise, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. This morning I, I was including a text thread from, from somebody and, and he was talking about a passage in Isaiah about setting the captives free. And God said, that's what I'm doing this morning. People have been held captive by counterfeit Christianity. They've been lulled to sleep. They're laying on a slab, wondering why they don't feel any power, wondering why they don't feel any love, wondering why they can't hear from God, wondering why he feels, feels far off, wondering why you keep slipping back into that sin that always so easily entangles you, wondering how far, oh God, will you stand far off from me? 
He, says, he simply says, look, you've tasted a bad apple. You've tasted a bad apple. But it's not over for you. Follow me. Follow me. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's not just a cute play on words. It's a total transformation. I'm going to take you. You are one thing. I'm going to take you from that one thing. I am going to make you into an entirely new thing. I'm not going to become your next appendage. I'm not going to become a vestigial organ that just follows you around and does nothing and serves no purpose. I'm going to transform you into a new being. The old is gone. The new has come. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not be a dog that returns to his vomit. Put away childish things. It is time to grow up in the things of God's word and in the things of the spirit. And he says, follow me. Follow me. Get out of your chairs. Leave your nets. Follow me. He called Simon and Andrew and it says they immediately left their nets and followed him. Y'all have heard the sermons. The nets are their means of provision. That's how they provide for their family. But here's, here's the flip side of that. It's also how it also gives them a, a, a crutch and something to lean on uh, to where they don't have to trust for God, trust God for everything. Follow me means I want you to trust me with everything. I, I want you to trust me with how I'm going to provide for your family. Do, do you really believe that I love your family? Do you think that I love your family? Do you think I'm going to let you just perish? The answer this morning is he's not going to let you perish. He loves your family and he can take care of them better than you can. That was the message we gave to these parents. You can't save your kids. God's got to do it. They need to see you following him. If you've been missing out on everything the Lord has for you, it's because you've been sitting and you've been on the sideline. This is not sideline Christianity. This is not we sit and watch the parade go by and cheer on all the workers who are doing great things for the kingdom of God. And think because we cheered, we were a part of it. When I search scripture, I'm so far off my notes. When I search scripture, I never see this. I never see Jesus go, yeah, but you, you, you didn't believe in me. I, I know you think you're my disciple, but... You didn't believe in me. You didn't, you didn't walk an aisle and you didn't pray a prayer right and you didn't do that. He never says that. He says, I didn't know you. Now, I want you to hear me. He says, I didn't know you. He didn't say, you didn't know me. Most of, most of the people in here think, I know Jesus. I heard about him in Sunday school. I read the verse. I raised my hand with every head bowed and every eye closed. I responded, I responded, I know Jesus. That's not, that's not what Jesus is asking. Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Hmm. If we present a gospel that's anything less than relationship with Jesus Christ, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, where he takes our sin and takes us out of death and raises us to life and transforms us and then, and then conforms us throughout our whole life to the image of his son, sanctifying us, changing the desires of our heart to his desires so that we can walk in obedience with him. If it's anything less than that, it's counterfeit. But we've accommodated it in the church. And many of you have been wounded by a church that has done that. 
And the Lord is saying, not in these end times. Not in these last days. There's no more time for that. You've got to, you've got to enter into the battle. You have got to follow me. I promise you, leaving father and mother, leaving everything behind, he's worth it. He's worth it. You, you, you read this and in your flesh you think, I have to leave everything behind. And what he's saying is, no, no, no. you're going to leave everything behind and I'm going to give you everything. Everything. And what you left behind, the thief can steal, the moth and the rust can destroy. But what I'm going to give you in return, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's kept for heaven in you. You will receive your full inheritance when Jesus Christ comes again and establishes the new heaven and new earth, and you will rule and reign with me and Christ in his kingdom. I will have put all your enemies under your feet. They will, they will all be under my footstool. Like, we have to present, this has to be the gospel that we preach. When you are out there being fishers of men, this has got to be the depth and the level of the hope that you present to the lost and the dying and the hurting. What, 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 is, what else is the other invitation? Hey, you want to come be a part of my church and we'll like each other for a while till we don't like each other and let our, let our differences get in the way and because it's not built on the truth of the word of God and, and we're not united by the love and the blood of Christ. We'll just do that for a little while and then go on to the next one. Like, people don't want that hope. I have no clue where I'm supposed to be in my notes. Um, so, here's the deal. Some of you, in your younger years, you were tenacious. You had a vigor. You had vitality. You had life. You, were, you had a passion for Jesus. You burned for Jesus. Then life got hard. And things got in the way. You got busy. John 6, verse 66, says this. It says, uh, after this, Jesus had preached some hard things. He said, unless you eat, the, eat of the bread of life, you have no inheritance with me. And that confused them. And so uh, John 6, verse 66, it says this. After this, many of his disciples quit following him and did not accompany him any longer. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom would we go? To whom would we go? Let me ask you this. If Jesus right now walked in the room and said, you too? Do you want to depart from me? <coughs> and you said, where would I go? If you have an answer to that question, if you could go anywhere except the presence of God and Jesus Christ, then you're missing the boat. I, I have nowhere else I can go. I have nowhere else I can turn. This life, this world has nothing for me. It has proven itself over and over. Like I'm thick-skulled, but the world has even gotten it through my thick skull that it has nothing for me. It does not love me. It does not want life for me. It does not want truth for me. It wants death for me. That is it. That is all this life has. And so if God said, Brett, do you want to go away from me? I, was, I, got, I got nothing else. I got nothing else. 
If you have a something else, you need to talk to God today. You need to get right with the Father today. You need to lay some things down. The rich young ruler turned away because he had much wealth. He had something to turn back to. He had a plan B. God says, I want you to remove your plan B. I want you to leave father and mother. And it gets worse. It gets worse. Luke 14. Now large crowds were accompanying Jesus and turning to them. And he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You cannot love the world and love God. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot serve both God and man. You cannot serve both the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's the rules. That's the biblical rules. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't sit sit down first and compute the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish the tower, all who see it will begin to make fun of him. Some of you began walking with Jesus a long time ago and you quit. Because you didn't count the cost. And now you're sitting in guilt and shame and condemnation. The Lord says, leave that behind. Get up. Get up today and follow me. Follow me. You know, when you follow me, you can leave guilt, shame, and condemnation. You can leave it in the rearview mirror never pick it back up again. I will speak truth and love and light over you. That's all you'll get from me. Because I love you. Some of you might think that this cost sounds too high. Leave father and mother. Hate your family. Leave your nets. Leave your provision. Leave your safety. Leave your identity. I'm no longer a doctor. I'm no longer a salesman. I'm no longer a businessman. I'm no longer a mother. I'm no longer a wife. I'm no longer a fill-in-the-blank. I have to trust God to remake my identity in him and provide for me in every single area of my life. That, that, the cost, the cost is just too high. Let me tell you, whether you follow Jesus or not, there's a cost either way. You will pay a price. You will pay a cost. Some of you have been paying that cost, and it's been costly. It's cost you so much. It's cost you marriages. It's cost you relationships with sons and daughters. And you feel broken. The invitation this morning has come. Come, follow me. Follow me and I'll give you purpose. I want to fast forward to Luke chapter 5. Verse 5. Now Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And the crowd was pressing around him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, 
We worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your word, I will lower the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that the nets started to tear. So they motioned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they were about to sink. But when, Simon's, uh, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Who encountered the holy? For Peter and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's business partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. So when they brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is a, this is a fuller account of the miraculous catch. This is a fuller account of the calling of the disciples to Jesus Christ. And, and here's what I want to point out. Um, they had spent all night fishing and caught nothing. And when the Lord showed up, what were they doing? They were washing their nets. They hadn't thrown their nets down in disgust saying, I can't figure this, I'm, I don't, can't figure this Christianity thing out. I'm, I'm not doing anything good for the Lord. I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm not good at using this net, so I'm just going to cast it aside. I'm going to let the barnacles build up. It doesn't matter. He said, no, 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 we're going to clean our nets. Why? Why would you clean your net? Because you're going to go back out tomorrow and fish again, right? And so when the Lord showed up, they, their nets were in the water. They had no fish, but their nets were in the water. They were in the game. They were fighting the battle. They were doing what they were called to do. And so with that, with their obedience in place, all it took was the word to come in. And when the word came in, he just says, just put it out in the deep. And they began to pull up the fish till the nets began to break and the boats began to sink. Now, uh, listen to this. Let's go to John 20. A lot of Bible today. Is that okay? Okay. Uh, John 20, verse 21. Or no, no, John 20, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed. So now, now we're on the other side of the cross, and we're on the other side of resurrection. Do you understand the timeline? This is Jesus' appearance to the disciples in Galilee. He said, after this, Jesus, he just, he just finished uh, his encounter with, with Thomas, the doubter. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, now, this, uh, uh, now this is how he did so. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples of his were together. Simon Peter told them, I am going fishing. Uh, we will go with you, they replied. Then went out, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? When it was already very early morning, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, don't you have any fish? Or you don't have any fish, do you? They replied, No. And he told them, Throw your net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they threw the net and were not able to pull it in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So Simon Peter, when he heard that it was the Lord, tucked in his outer garment, for he had nothing on underneath it, and plunged into the sea. Meanwhile, the other disciples came with the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards. When they got out to the beach, they saw a charcoal fire ready with a fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said, bring some of the fish you have now caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and pulled the net to shore. 
It was full of large fish, 153. But although there were so many, the net was not torn. Come, have breakfast, Jesus said. But none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So we have two stories, two very similar stories, one in Luke 5 and one in John 20. And here's what's interesting about the comparison and the contrast of these two stories. In Luke chapter 5, when they began, when they put their nets in the deep water, what happened when they began to bring in the catch? Their nets began to break and their boats began to sink. Now, post-cross, post-resurrection, we see the same exact story. And Jesus says, Cash, they're out there doing their work. They're out there being obedient. They're out, they're out there being fishermen. They're out there doing what they, what they have been called to do and designed to do. And yet they still haven't caught anything. And, God, and God's word comes in again and says, no. Just go to the other side of the boat, right? There was nothing magical about the other side of the boat. The fish hadn't moved over there and congregated, right? Um, uh, it was God's word. That's all that they needed. It was God's word to inject itself into a situation, and then the miraculous starts to happen, right? But this time, post-resurrection, they, Peter was able to pull the net in. The nets didn't break, and the boats didn't sink. Everything changed when Jesus raised from the dead. We have been empowered with the Holy Spirit so that we can do the work of the miraculous that he's called us to do. Some of you, when, when I say you have, God is calling you to be a fisher of men, it scares you to death. Why? Because you've been operating out of your power. You've been operating out of your wisdom. You've been operating out of your biblical knowledge. That will not work. That will not suffice. God, the, God ascended so that he could send the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to empower us, to do the work of the miraculous. We don't see the miraculous in the church. Why? Why? Not here. Not here, says the Lord. You will see it here. You will walk in my power. You will rest in my power. You will drink in my power. You will pour out my power. And I will pour out my glory upon you. Not for your sake, but for my name's sake. I will be magnified and glorified through a people who leave everything behind to follow me. Who say, I'm not just going to accept the things of this world and try to accept the things of God too. I'm going to throw everything away, put everything aside and say, you are worthy. And if we don't follow him, if we don't follow him, we're not just choosing to not follow. We're telling him, you're not worthy. That's a different slant. That's a different perspective. done with these notes Holy Spirit hmm.
I know that I know that my voice got loud today, and I don't. I, I just want to say this. I don't want. I don't want there to be anybody that feels anger or condemnation. What the what God is trying to do is trying to pour out love on this place. He loves you so much. He doesn't want to leave you in the place that you walked in. He loves you so much. His his promises are so greater than the promises of the world. He's just asking for your all this morning. He's asking for your all this morning. I love you enough to call you into more. I love you enough to call you into surrender. I love you enough to call you into submission. I love you enough to call you into purpose and power and authority for the kingdom of God. I'm calling you out of a neutered, shallow, counterfeit Christianity. And I'm calling you to follow me. And I'll transform you. I'll make you fishers of people.